0: So welcome back everybody to the Growing Through Grief podcast. I am more than excited for to have this conversation and I'm just going to dive right in. I'm having a conversation with Jane Duncan Rogers. I want to get that exactly right because that's what she said her name is and that's what we're going to introduce her as. So I'm having a conversation with her. It's Slightly different from what I've done in the past, but I'm excited for this. And I say different because this is one of those things that we don't really think about as we should. So Jane is going to give us some information in terms of, well, I won't even tell you what Jane is going to give us. Let it be a surprise. Jane has this nonprofit. It is... Before I Go Solution. So that should give you a little bit of a hint, right, Jane?
1: That's right. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So let me just go ahead and introduce you and you can share what else you would like to share with everyone. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Great to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So what did I miss in terms of your introduction? Everyone knows that You're from somewhere around
1: the UK with that accent, right? (laughs) That's right. Yes, I'm from the Highlands of Scotland. So um, that's about four hours north of Edinburgh. Most people know where Edinburgh or Glasgow are. Um, Yeah, so, well, I think the connection with grief about Before I Go Solutions is a not-for-profit and we help people to make good end-of-life plans. Now, you wouldn't normally think that is associated with grief, but how I got into it is very much associated with grief. Um, Because my husband died in 2011 after a year of um, living with cancer together. And at the time, I was working as a, a coach, a small business coach. And, well, you know, when something like that happens, everything changes. And but I was also a writer, I already had a blog and I knew that I would have to write about this one day. And sure enough, one day I did wake up, it was just like in the novels, I woke up and I thought, oh my goodness, I have to write now. And that's exactly what I did. And I ended up writing my first book, Gifted by Grief, uh, a true story of cancer, loss and rebirth. So it was like a memoir. And I was speaking in that about all sorts of things about th- the effects of the death, of run up to the death, the actual death itself and what happened and what happened for me afterwards. And you know, it was full of, well, I thought it was full of spiritual awakenings that people would other people would enjoy. But what they actually liked best was a chapter about the questions that I'd asked my husband before he died. Now, this, this these questions were things like, what kind of coffin do you want? And how do you want to have your body dressed? And what are your passwords? I mean, pretty hard-hitting questions when you're talking to someone who knows that they actually only have a few months left to live we knew that by this point mm-hmm. and a friend had sent these these questions in an email and she actually had to send the email three times because neither of us wanted to look at it <laughs> but here's the thing when we looked at it and when we answered these questions together even though the topic was his end of life and we knew it was going to happen we actually had a good time doing it, mm-hmm. it I mean, it was quite uncanny, actually. Every time I say this, I'm surprised again, you know, because it's not what you would expect. But it felt incredibly satisfying and rewarding, and a relief as well for both of us, you know, to have taken care of these things. And we felt so close and loving afterwards. It was just really lovely. Anyway, this is the chapter that people responded to. The readers, readers, told me I need to answer those questions too, and that basically was the beginning of Before I Go Solutions, where we now help people to get their end-of-life plans and done and train other people as end-of-life plan facilitators. And that's Mm -hmm. since six years now. So that's how I got into it. (laughs) Yes, wow. That
0: was a lot. And I want to take a minute to unpack some of what you said. What Mm -hmm. landed for me, number one is... You said that people don't think about grief and death going together, but that's what led you down this path of losing your husband. I also heard you say, we went through cancer together. Yeah. Together. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just curious, would you share a little
1: bit about what that, Look like for you? Sure. I mean, it came out of the blue. We were not expecting this. He had had some stomach problems, and essentially, we heard that he had stomach cancer caught really early. Now, that meant there was a relatively good prognosis if he he had to have chemo and he had to have an operation, and if the operation worked, he would have quite a good prognosis. So, I would say that for the first six months. Of that diagnosis, we were dealing with a very serious situation, but it didn't feel yet life-threatening. And there's plenty of people who have survived cancer or who are living with cancer in a relatively speaking healthy way. And so we were at that stage, I would say, for the first six months. So immediately, I have to say though, immediately it had an effect on our relationship in that both of us really, but him in particular, started to focus on wow am I living my life the way I really want to you know Mm. because there's nothing like facing the end to help you get clear about what's really important Mm. so I look back now and I see that that last year that we had together which was about 14 months actually it was probably the the most loving and the most satisfying in our whole 20 year marriage even more so than the first year and you could expect the first year to be really good can't you (laughs) but this last one I mean we were just really appreciative and of each other and tender with each other most of the time not all the time you know we weren't perfect but (laughs) But it did feel like he referred to cancer you know people often talk about battling with cancer And that was not his way of doing it at all. He said it was a not very welcome guest come knocking at the door. And that gave a different uh, flavor to it, you know, because this guest had a message for him. And he did do a lot of healing at different levels. It's just that his body didn't heal. Um, Yeah. And he never did. Of course, he never got well a lot lots of people don't ever get to the place where they don't want to die and he was one of them you know even a few days beforehand he was saying he didn't want to die but i do feel like we had the presence of cancer in our marriage we had to accept that it was there whether we actually welcomed it or not mm. and it did give us quite a lot of gifts individually um while it took him away it brought us gifts as well which mm. I don't think I would have called them that at the time, particularly, but on reflection, yeah, I could see that.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. As you're speaking, I'm thinking, you know, this is initially it was not life threatening. But then when you realize some more things were happening, how it turned into perhaps we call it anticipatory grief but out of that, there was some beautiful gifts, and you use word like words like loving and tender in terms of your relationship.
1: Mm. Yeah, it was very much so. I mean, we kind of reconnected with why we had connected in the first place, you know, which is always a healthy thing to do. But at the same time, having to accept that he wasn't going to be here for very much longer now when I look back I can see that I was more willing to accept this than him Yeah. but you know, somebody is alive right up until the moment that they ha- are actually dead mm-hmm. and so we had to learn to live with the the paradox really of facing the fact that he wasn't going to be here fairly soon didn't know when with the fact that he was here right now. So right. it really propelled us to living in the present moment, both of us. And that was very, very important. Right. Um, because, and of course, that's what a lot of wise sages say is, you know, life is all about living in the present moment, but yeah. we don't always do that, do we? <laughs> and acceptance
0: is also very, very critical. So I would be interested in knowing, what lessons did you learn about, I wish we had lived life differently before this mm-hmm. came about? The things that you shifted once you knew that life was changing for the two of you. What yeah. did it feel like? What, what did you tell yourself? I wish we had done what? More.
1: Well, um, on a practical level, uh, we wished that we had taken more time or more weekends away to explore Scotland, which we hadn't done. We were so busy doing exciting things at home, that, which was wonderful, but it meant that we had missed out on, you know, some travelling and exploring Scotland was what we had wanted to do. But to be honest, we were having a bit of a hard time when we when he was diagnosed and I was getting to the point where I was going to have to say something about, you know, things have to change, otherwise I'm going to leave sort of thing. And um, I never did get to that point because this happened first. And it rejigged us to the point where I would say he had been a bit of a lost soul spiritually. And he found his way again with this major uh, kick up the backside is what we would call it over here. (laughs) Um, it, It was like, We began to be able to talk at a much more, without defences, at a level that was much more intimate than we had done for quite a few years. And that was very important, particularly without defences. So we were able to hear each other. We had some, especially in that first week after the diagnosis, we had some very long into the night talks and being very honest and very open. And that, of course, created the intimacy and it was beautiful. I love that. Thank you for
0: sharing. Thank you for sharing that. I just listened to a special that George Clooney was on. I don't know if you know the actor George Clooney.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah talking about his age. he's sixty one. that's still young to me. And the question was, what are you noticing now? at age 61, that you didn't notice in terms of how you're doing life. And this is exactly what he said, that they're committed to spending more time together, meaning he and his wife and the kids vacation. And it's less about work. You're in a position to do that. And the little things that we trip over when something like, your situation happens those little things no longer matter so you know it's just curious it's just amazing how we as human beings
1: often don't get there until something happens I know I know and it's so true the little things are just totally irrelevant totally irrelevant things that you would have had arguments about before you know it's like pointless utterly pointless it's just because I think when when you're faced with the end of your life or your or your own life or your partner is faced with your with the end of their life, then you're everything's stripped bare, you know, it, because you are either here in your body or you're not here, you know, in a body. And, right. that's kind of, and we don't really know. I know that lots of people have had uh, near death experiences and all that and can say categorically that this is what will happen or what whatever. But. But if it hasn't happened for you, then it's difficult to know. We don't really know exactly what happens. And, of course, people have all sorts of different beliefs. So, again, we're forced into living here now. And I think that's really important, really important. Right now is all we have, right? This is all you and I have
0: right now. We're together. So we are going to talk. Of course, we're going to talk about some of those questions that you just mentioned. But I also noticed in your bio that you were one of the first to uh, facilitate classes around Louise Hay book. That's right. Yeah. Your life. And grief is my filter. I filter almost everything through grief, right? Yes. <laughs> so, and I agree with you that grief can be a curious gift, which is what, your life started to look like all these gifts started unfolding once you knew what was going on with your husband. So again, everything is filtered through grief, in my opinion. But when we don't grieve, that could potentially create some disease. I'll put it that way. Yeah, definitely. Could you talk a little bit about your work you started maybe decades ago, about healing you can heal your body just a little bit about that as it relates to grief
1: <laughs> yeah of course well it's interesting because the one thing that i knew after philip died and it was excruciatingly painful i i thought i knew about grief because i had trained as a counselor i knew i'd learned about it but i had no i hadn't had a really close person die and i had no idea how painful it would be physically and emotionally and it and it was, and the thing that I knew and I held on to was Louise Hayes saying, which was "What you feel, you can heal. What you feel, you can heal." So right. I knew it's a tweetable moment. What <laughs> you feel, you can heal. Exactly. So I remembered this, and I so I knew that it was really important that I didn't try to not feel things or to cover them up, or anything like that, and you know, I had trained with her, I trained to be a You Can Heal Your Life study group leader, and I was the first one in Europe and America, uh, Europe and England, uh, the UK to do that, which was back in the 1990s, quite a long time ago, <laughs> but I ran lots of courses, and uh, in fact, I wrote, I wrote a book then, that was way before the internet, it's not in print any longer, but um, as a result of doing that, so you know, she and her teachings, have been part of my life as a background sometimes coming to the foreground like in this case you know I remembered and it was very helpful to remember what when I was in the throes of feeling angry because I was angry a lot that he had abandoned me I know it wasn't his fault I know he didn't want to I know he didn't intend to and (laughs) I was still angry (laughs) I can remember stomping up and down the hall feeling shouting and just feeling angry about it uh, or maybe I was in tears or there was a lot of tears for me and a lot of anger those are the primary things I know other people feel feel other feelings it doesn't really matter what you feel you just have to let it be there because funnily enough that is the way the best way to be able to get through it to the other side Um, and in fact I in my book I write about what I called front door back door thinking and basically what that is is that when a feeling comes knocking on the door at the front door you if we don't like the look of that feeling what we tend to do is lock the door and close the curtains and shut the shutters and try and keep it out but of course it doesn't get kept out because it will hang around in the garden and infiltrate its way into your house this is where the disease comes from Mm -hmm. so what realize I had I reflected back on this afterwards and I realized that what I had been doing was when the feelings came that I didn't want to feel I opened the doors and I opened the windows but I opened the back door of my house as well so that the feelings could come in and they could be there for however long they needed to be there and then they could easily go again and that's exactly what happened it's exactly what happened it's like a lot of our problems I think come from resisting and trying not to have what is happening, you know. But if you're able to accept it or just let it be there, then it will be there for however long it needs to be there. But it will change. It will change.
0: Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. The word abandonment really resonates with me. And you were an adult when your loved one um, transitioned. I was three when my mother died. And I thought abandonment was a feeling, but it's really a thought. So that's exactly what I thought. She abandoned me, not consciously. A three-year-old has no idea, but she didn't show up again, right? (laughs) And there was no one to talk to me about what was going on. So abandonment was big. But I also love how you mentioned anger. Mm -hmm. That can really destroy the body if you don't process it and let it in the front door and out the back door right <laughs>
1: exactly exactly and you know I think I I know that quite often people will associate um, anger as a bad thing and certainly not to be associated with grief but but in my experience that's that wasn't the case and I knew that I just if I was angry I just had to be angry you know. And I was often (laughs) and it sometimes led to awkward moments, but you know what? I didn't care. I didn't care if I walked out in the middle of a meeting because I was upset or angry or whatever. I didn't care if I had to rearrange um, a a meeting at, at short notice. All of these things happen, by the way, quite often, because nothing mattered. Nothing mattered other than the fact that my husband had died and I was devastated. And you know everything got filtered through that basically and of course it did began I can't say it got better what what happened when you'll probably recognize this is that the length of time between the bad days got longer that's the change that happened um so I still had bad days but they would be longer spaced apart over time, over time,
0: yeah. So talk a little bit more about that, the length of
1: space between the mayonnaise got longer. What does that mean? Well, basically, uh, in the first throes of grief, and especially after the funeral had happened and everybody had got on with their own lives. Right. I just felt awful most of the time, most of the days. And occasionally I would be taken out of it by something else you know somebody else maybe a conversation or I don't know being amused by something that, that um one of my niece or nephew said or something like that but generally speaking it was horrible for a long period of time for for a long i thought it was a long period of time for me and then I began to notice that I had that maybe there would be a day where actually it wasn't quite as bad as it had been. And then those days started, there started to be more of those. So that's really what I mean. So even, uh, I mean, now, now it's 11 years on since he died. And, you know, I was in a situation just last week where I was in a meeting with people and this was a business meeting. I was talking about what was happening in the business and I suddenly realised that it was 11 years since he had died and tears came to my eyes, you know. Now that's not because I'm still grieving because I'm not I have married again and I'm incredibly happy and I know that Philip who was my husband he would have been delighted for me to be married again yes but but you know he was a part Philip was a part of my life for a long period of time and sometimes I'm still touched by that but the times in between that are longer much longer of course now thank you thank you
0: are you feeling invisible? Are you sliding through life feeling hopeless and wishing someone would come along and save you? Is it time to stop wishing and time to get busy living life, creating what you desire, living a victorious life of fulfillment in a community with other compassionate hearts, healing, growing, transforming into your greatest potential? Sign up now for the next course, Growing Through Grief System, a holistic and compassionate approach to limitless growth and healing. Visit www.coachingtotheheart.org to learn more. Celebrate yourself, your life, and your legacy. We are growth seekers mastering the game of life and creating a different reality Beyond grief and loss. So let's shift gears a little bit. You mentioned two or three questions that you asked yourself, and you took your gifts and your skills as a coach and already a leader, and you formed this organization, a nonprofit. Before I go, solutions. Yes. So, and I also know that you have this beautiful guide, the eight essentials for creating a good end of life plan. Yes. with us a little of those essentials.
1: Well, you know, when people think of pl- end of life planning, they usually think either of a will or a funeral plan, both of which are important parts of a whole end of life plan but there's much more to it than that so there's other legal documents that if you're going to prepare ahead for a good end of life which statistics have shown that if you do that then regardless of the fact that we don't know how we're going to end you are more likely to have a better end of life not to mention that the fact that your relatives afterwards will find it a lot easier to take care of everything after you have died but anyway Legals include the powers of attorney, which are like the insurance document that you put in place for somebody to represent you before you have died, because they become null and void once you have died. Um, if you can't speak for yourself or you can't manage your finances, or you don't, you you're unable, say, because you've had a stroke or dementia or something like that, to speak for yourself, then you need somebody else to represent you, and that's your power of attorney. Most people still don't have those in place, mm-hmm. really important. Um, like your living will or your advanced healthcare directive is also important. And that's the document that you make and it's legal in some places and not legal in others. You know, it's just a document, mm-hmm. um, but it's about the treatment that you would not want to receive if you, again, you were in a situation where you couldn't speak for yourself. And that's important because in generally speaking in the Western world, we will get treated in a hospital Because that's what our our medical profession have been taught to do, is to treat people, understandably. So if you don't want to have treatment, if you think you wouldn't want to have treatment in certain circumstances, you need to think about that beforehand. Um, And there's quite a lot of thinking to do about that, because that's a challenging question. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, we have our digital lives. You know, you will still be alive online after you have died, unless you take care of this in some way beforehand. So when I first started talking about this, most, for example, the social media sites, they didn't, they weren't really together with this. They haven't, they haven't thought about what to do. Now that's different in different, if we're talking about social media, it's different for different sites. On Facebook, for example, you can name somebody as your legacy contact. I think they call it a legacy contact or memorial contact. You have to set that up in advance because otherwise it's quite difficult to get your Facebook account closed down if that's what you want to do. And if you don't want to do it, then you're going to have you're going to run the risk, let's say, of people discovering that you've died through Facebook, which might be what you want, but it might not be. So this is all about making a conscious decision. Again, it has to be thought about beforehand. And um, then there's what I call the household things. And that includes, of course, your finances and how they are organized and who has access to what accounts, et cetera, et cetera. But it also includes just the stuff that you have. So to anybody who's listening, just look around your room or imagine your room right now and you will see that you've got loads of stuff. <laughs> and if you haven't dealt with it, i.e. thought about who you might want to have these your precious things or thought about who's going to clear the house for you, then it will probably get put, it will probably get chucked out. And that's, you know, you might not mind about that, but it's helpful for those coming after you if you can tell them, chuck it out or give this to so-and-so or whatever. Um, Because the thing about grief is, as you know, I'm sure, it's much more difficult to make decisions when you're grieving. And if if you are somebody who's executor of somebody's will or you're responsible for uh, taking care of the fact that this person has died and there's everything left over to be tidied up it's hugely helpful to have to just be able to follow instructions so for example when my mum and dad died they had left there before I go workbooks because they were good students of mine, of course. So they had left their workbooks with all their questions answered. And all I had to do was go and have a look and see what it was that they wanted. And I knew most of them, talked about it, but it was really helpful to have it written down, really helpful.
0: Well, that was going to be one of the questions I asked. How are you, how do you propose an individual, well, we know the power of attorney, the living will with the health care, uh, mm-hmm. desires will be something we it's a legal document mm-hmm. the other part the digital the household things you have a workbook you put together a workbook that okay so how does one get the workbook would they enroll in one of your courses you can
1: do it. it's part of all our courses okay. um, so if you, if you so but we have a shop before i go solutions.com is the main site and we have a shop where you can buy that you can only get the workbook through our site um we we have various other products as well but i think the easiest thing to do is to do a quiz um we've got a really short quiz under before i go it's just yes no answers and they these are the some of the questions that are part of that workbook and work that were the ones that I asked Philip and it will give you an idea of some of the things that you might not have thought about and that need to be taken care of and that's a really good place to start because it's dead easy to get overwhelmed with all this yeah dead easy I have yeah. Said dead easy for goodness sake there's lots of room for puns here <laughs> but anyway to start to be able to start in a small way I think is really important
0: yeah okay let me let me go back a little bit. The living will, yes mentioned the health care, and I wrote down the word quality mm-hmm. want health care that includes quality of life exactly. and not necessarily on a the, the machines that keep us alive. some would want that some would not yeah. what would you? What can you share with the listeners in regard to healthcare with quality of life?
1: Yeah, well, this is very much an individual um, preference. Very much an individual preference. I was working once with a lady who told me that if she had to be in a wheelchair, she really she would find that just not acceptable. Mm. But she went home and she told her husband about all this and he said completely the opposite. He said he wouldn't mind that at all because he would think he thought he would be getting looked after then. And that was very important for him. You know, you know, those are pretty, you know, those are not life threatening situations to be in a wheelchair. But for this particular woman, it was not going to be okay. She said that she, she for her, it wasn't okay. We didn't go into why. Anyway, I think. It's again, it's an insurance document to think about, you know, you hope that you're not going to have to be in this situation. Right. But we hope that about our house not being burnt down, don't we? And we have insurance for that. Right. (laughs) If you think about it like this, then it's sensible to put in place what your wishes are. And of course, they might change. You know, your wishes at age 40 or 50 are probably going to be different from if you're 70 or 80. And so they'll change. So it's in that sense, it's a living document, hence a living will. But I think the thing that is really challenging with this is to think through the kinds of situations that would be acceptable to you and not. And that's, of course, why people don't want to do it. So I have a tip. (laughs) And the tip is, instead of imagining yourself in the future, not able to do this, not able to speak, not able to move, whatever it is, just imagine if it had happened to me yesterday, given the circumstances of my life right now, what would I want to have happened? So... You know, I'm 65. I think right now that if I was um, paralyzed, unable to speak, in a coma or whatever, and I've led a full life, it wouldn't be the end of the world if I didn't have any more life, right? So I've put that down in my advanced directive. But if I was 45 or if I was 55, I think I'd be thinking differently, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And certainly some of the more older people I've worked with, maybe in their 80s, They are often, I've had a good life, you know, I don't need to have any more. But we have to think this through to be able to be clear enough to have the conversations with our family, because our family might not agree, and to get it put in writing. Really important, that. Mm, Yes, thank you.
0: My grown children have been very clear with me to plan it. Yeah. Please, mom, put it together. We're not interested in having a conversation where one wants this, the other wants that. We want cohesiveness, great relationships, and not have to debate over what should and should not happen. Oh, wonderful. There was somewhere in some of your reading where you talked about that final gift. Mm -hmm. You know, we leave for the ones that are, that will be left behind to grieve us, right? Yeah. We're yeah. there physically. And I love, I don't recall his name, but he speaks about death so beautifully. And his comment is, death is a continuation mm-hmm. of something else, another life and another way. It's not, it's the end of what we know. Right. And especially our loved ones, they're going, it's death. I don't care what you call it, but life continues as where, don't know where, don't know what's happening. But yeah, continuation. I think if we hold that word after death,
1: it might ease the pain a little bit from time to time. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's just reminding me, I've not talked about this on camera before, I don't think. But um, this this happened just must have been maybe two or three weeks before Philip died. And he was in the hospital and I was living nearby. And I had a vision in the middle of the night. And the vision was that he was walking away from me towards mountains that were glowing with kind of um, a bright yellow golden light. And he was walking completely steadily as if he was completely healthy going away from me and I knew I wasn't going with him and I knew I was not to go with him and I knew that what he where he was going was exactly where he was meant to be going and that I was in the exact space where I was meant to be and it was so loving oh my goodness the feeling of love was incredible Mm. and that really was helpful I don't know what it meant or anything I didn't really go into that but I took solace from the fact that it had happened this call and that it felt so good, you know, that was really lovely.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it was so loving and it felt good. I don't yeah. know if I've ever heard it said that way. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So what are some what you consider unique wishes that you've experienced with clients, with students that have gone through your school I'm just curious about that have there been some unique wishes that hmm, we wouldn't the average person wouldn't think about
1: (laughs) well one that comes to mind is somebody who told me that he wanted to have his ashes put into a rocket and and fired over the bay here because I live near the coast (laughs) yeah I was like oh I've not heard of that before And actually, one of the things that's slightly been a bit more controversial is quite a few people saying they don't want a funeral at all. So that's led to a conversation along the lines of, well, what is a funeral for? You know, so they say, well, I'm not, you know, I'll be dead. I won't be there. It won't matter. Actually, the marking of the occasion of somebody departing their body, whether you believe that they are continuing on or not, that's quite significant. And it doesn't have to be a traditional funeral if you don't right. want the traditional thing. But I think a marking of the occasion, even if it's simply a sitting down with one or two other friends or, or family members and, and, and toasting the person, you know, and having a few memories. If you do that consciously, then that is the case. I've been surprised at how many people have said that they didn't want to have a funeral, you know, because they wanted to keep it cheap and it didn't matter and all that. But actually, there is a purpose for this kind of acknowledgement and that i think is the important thing is the essence of a funeral is the ritual saying goodbye amongst friends and family even if it's only two friends that's okay you know it doesn't it matter but i do think that is an important thing to do actually
0: it really is changing i know some of the church's unity church the celebration the body is not there it's a celebration with family and friends and colleagues. Um, so, yeah, it's really changing. And the this generation is not doing it the way our ancestors did it, right?
1: Well, I think these days people are aware that there is a choice. There didn't used to be a choice. It was just the way you did it. Mm-hmm. But now, actually, more and more, that when people are aware there is a choice, it doesn't really matter what they choose so long as they make a conscious choice, I think. Yeah. I don't mind what they choose. Of course I don't mind what they choose, you know, but I do feel passionately about making sure that people are aware of the choices that they could make. So that's one of the reasons we do the work that we do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow, great conversation. So Jane, let me ask you this. Is there one question that I haven't asked that you would like for me to ask in order to give that information to the listeners?
1: Yeah, no, I've forgotten what it was that I said to you when you asked me this before. <laughs> okay, and yeah, so did I. Is why I asked again. <laughs> There's nothing like being authentic, is there? <laughs> let, me just think, let me just think about this because um, I can't remember what it is.
0: No problem. No problem. So I'm aware of the time and it goes by really fast when you're having fun, talking about important, valuable information, right? You have shared a lot of nuggets. The one that's still landing with me is because... I do the grief counseling. um, I do therapy. What you feel, you can heal. Yeah. That one is just still resonating within my body. Because once we feel it, it processes it, it releases itself. You don't feel it. You push it down. It's sitting there. It's coming out some way. It's coming out, whether it's through anger, an outbursts. Um, disease in your body, and sometimes it come out when you least expect it. So I just want to bring that back for what you feel you can heal. What other nuggets would you like to share with
1: the listeners? Well, you know, it's an extension of that really, because I think it's really important to not judge yourself if you're not able to feel things or if you're not feeling what you think you ought to be feeling or if it's going on longer for than you think it ought to um people grieve in all sorts of different ways and that was brought home to me when I met the man who is now my husband I met him I think it was six months after his wife had died now Six months after my husband had died and I was a right mess, but six months after his wife had died and he was actually managing really well, he had found a way that worked for him to process what had been happening. So I, as you can imagine, I was extremely cautious around this man to start with (laughs) because I had the judgment that he hadn't really grieved, but it wasn't true. It wasn't true. And that was quite humbling for me to understand how the, that was my real beginning journey and understanding that people really do grieve in different ways. And yeah. unless it's causing problems in other areas of your life, because you're sitting on the feelings or whatever it is that's happening, um, then feeling the feelings is, is, and even if that includes feeling numb, OK, or yeah. not feeling anything, that's OK? The best thing that I think we can do with ourselves is be tender and kind and loving towards ourselves, particularly when we're grieving. I agree. I'm one of those people who believe that
0: grief never goes away. We Mm -hmm. just carry it more gracefully from one season to the next. And it softens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it softens. And as you said, the band-aids are, you know, they're so far apart Mm -hmm. Um, they get further and further apart but yeah it's been decades since my mother died and I still miss her so it never Mm -hmm. goes away but there's just such grace there with to hold me when it shows up oh that's lovely isn't it yeah it is it is well wow that went by absolutely too quickly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i know I know. There I really- there's so much more we could talk about just to remind the listeners there is a workbook it's before i go solutions.com i'm sure there's more information i am going to get my workbook to at least start the process of course i have the will the power of attorney but there's some missing pieces to here for
1: me yeah, just listening to what you said There's a missing just let me um, say for American readers there is a USA version of the workbook that is uh, that which is a a fillable PDF that you can that you can uh, get on the website so um, it's just slightly different from the English the it it certainly it uses American English for a start and there's one or two things that are a little bit different and different names but um, yeah yeah
0: well thank you so much thank you. Thank you to my listeners. And you know what I always say, just keep growing and I will see you during the next conversation. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Growing Through Grief and being part of this loving community of women. If you enjoyed what you heard, Please share and spread the word. Let's help all women become richer and more nourished in their heart so that they're able to just keep on rising. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or topic ideas, or you would like to be a guest on my show, You can reach me directly at coachingtotheheart.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep on growing.